Well, hey, if you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use your phone. Uh, grab one under the seat in front of you or follow along the screen. But we'll be in Exodus chapter 12. This morning, I have a question for you. What is the most important thing that has ever happened to you? I know that is a big question to think about in the morning, but think with me for a second. When you look back over your life and all that's happened to you, what is the most significant moment, the most important thing that has ever happened? I'm guessing, like me, there are a few things that come to mind immediately. Maybe it's something related to family, getting married, having kids, being adopted, Uh, Someone who's a little sarcastic like me is thinking the best thing that ever happened to me was being born. Yeah. Maybe it's something related to a personal achievement that you've had, uh, graduating from college, starting a business, getting your dream job. Maybe it's something deeper, something more personal to your story, like the day you found out you were cancer-free, or the day you walked away from an addiction, or the day God restored a broken relationship. As we look back over our lives, there are a lot of important things that have happened to each of us, things that fundamentally changed who we are and now serve to give us meaning and purpose. But what if I told you that the most important thing that has ever happened to you took place 2,000 years ago, before you were born, before you had taken a single breath, or as they say, before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye? I am sure you can guess because I'm, well, a preacher in church on Easter. I'm talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, That's why we're here today. I've already said that. But have you ever wondered, what does that have to do with me? I mean, what is the life and death of a man I've never met, who I have no relation to, who didn't even speak my language or live on this continent, have to do with me? How does that matter to my life here in 2023 today. Well, if you'll just give me the next 20 minutes this morning, that's what I want to show you. And I just want to lay my cards on the table today. I want to not only show you, but I want to persuade you. I want to convince you that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is the most important thing that's ever happened to you. That those events affect you in more ways than you could ever imagine. That what Jesus did determines not only the course of your life here on earth, but also what happens after you die. In order to make my case, we need to go back even further in history. A long time ago, we need to go back to the 15th century B.C. when God performed one of the greatest miracles in recorded history. He brought a group of people called the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves for 400 years. If you've been here with us on Sunday mornings, you know this is the story we've been walking through piece by piece in the book of Exodus. God heard the cries of his people while in slavery in Egypt, so he raised up a deliverer, a man named Moses, to go before Pharaoh and bring them out. And through a series of ten plagues, God revealed his power over Uh, Israel's enemies and his love for them. And this culminated in the death of every firstborn in Egypt while God's people were spared by painting the blood of the lamb over their doorways. And we've now come to the point of the story where this book gets its name. The people are finally going to Exodus or to leave Egypt. So look with me 
At Exodus chapter 12, let's start with just a few verses, verses 33 to 36. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. At this point in the story, after all that's happened, the Israelite people, they don't have to try and escape or run away in the night. The Egyptians are actually begging them to go. They're like, get out of here. So the Israelites left quickly. They couldn't even finish their bread. And on the way out, it says they plundered the Egyptians. But they didn't hurt them or rob them. The people actually willingly gave them everything they had. And while this may seem a bit harsh for the people of Egypt to have their stuff taken away, we can't forget the situation here. God's people were slaves and horribly oppressed and abused for over 400 years by these people. They were the victims of an attempted genocide. And yet they leave slavery, not running for their lives, but walking out victorious, free from their chains. Let's keep going. Verses 37 to 42. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. The nation of Israel upon leaving Egypt was somewhere around 2 million people when you add in women and children. So this was no small group of stragglers, but this was a mighty nation. And you can imagine how incredible this moment would have been. These people spent their entire lives bound in slavery. They knew nothing else. And now they're walking freely onto land they'd never seen before. The author of Exodus describes this group of people in verse 41 as host of the Lord. That word host is a military term meaning armies or troops. And and this again speaks to the transformation the people had experienced. They went from being captives to being members of God's army. They were now strong, not because of their own strength or numbers, but because of God's presence with them. Verse 42, we begin to see the significance of this event for the future of God's people says this night of their exodus would be a night that they would remember and celebrate for future generations. It would come to be known as Passover, a holiday to commemorate what God had done for them. The last part of Exodus 12 details God's instructions to Moses and Aaron on how to celebrate Passover. It included a special meal and then celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread for one week. And this was to be done every year at the same time as a very special holiday. The point was that God wanted his people to remember the most important thing that had ever happened to them. 
He wanted them to never forget the night that they left the captivity of Egypt and walked out in freedom as God's people. This was a defining moment of their existence to be remembered and celebrated. And if we were to continue walking through the Old Testament, we would see that God's people continued to celebrate the Passover. Uh, There were times when they walked away from God and forgot to celebrate, but they always came back to this holiday when they came back to God. And by the time we get to the first century A.D., we see that the nation of Israel is still remembering the Exodus by celebrating Passover. As Jesus grew up, who was a direct descendant of these people, he would have personally observed this holiday many times. And when we get to the Gospels, the, the four accounts of the life of Jesus, we read that Jesus actually continued to celebrate Passover as an adult. In fact, all four Gospels record him doing this with his disciples on the night before he was crucified. Except this Passover in the Bible, somewhere around 33 A.D., was different than any other the Jewish people had ever celebrated. Because at this Passover, Jesus revealed its true meaning and purpose. Not only did this special meal and holiday point backwards to God's deliverance of his people from Egypt... But it also pointed forward to a day when God would deliver his people again. You see, God's people didn't just need to be freed from physical bondage. They needed to be freed from spiritual bondage. They didn't just need help from their physical enemies, but they they needed help from their spiritual enemies. And they didn't just need salvation from physical suffering, but they needed salvation from spiritual suffering, which was their sin. And Jesus told his disciples that that's exactly what he came to do. As they ate the Passover meal that night, Jesus explained how the entire story of the Exodus pointed to him. The release of God's people from captivity was a shadow of something greater to come. Jesus took the bread and he explained how it symbolized his body. And he took the wine and explained how it symbolized his blood. Like the Passover lamb, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be killed as a sacrifice for their sins. His body would be broken and his blood would be spilled for the sake of his people. And just like in Exodus, those who trusted in the blood of the lamb, Jesus would be passed over by God's judgment and would be saved. And that's exactly what happened. Later that night after the Passover meal, Jesus was arrested. The following day he was crucified And though he was innocent, he was nailed to a cross as a criminal. And the Bible tells us something miraculous happened while Jesus hung on the cross. All of the judgment for the sins of the world, including for my sins and your sins, people still to come, all of that was poured out on Jesus instead of on us. We were passed over. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed in our place. Jesus took our death so we could have life. Jesus took our judgment so that we could have grace. But Jesus isn't just our Passover lamb. He's also our greater Moses who leads us to a new life of freedom. For on the third day after Jesus died, he walked out of the tomb that once held his lifeless body. And he had a renewed body that would never die again. He had conquered sin and death and would now live forever as king and lord of all. So just as the people of God 
left slavery in Egypt in the Exodus, Jesus left death in the grave in a new Exodus. And here's the amazing part of it all. Here's what this has to do with us today. Jesus didn't just die and rise to new life for himself, but he did it for us. And when we trust in him and identify ourselves as one of his followers, his death and resurrection is applied to us. This is what we read in another New Testament book, the book of Romans. The apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 6. He says, we, people, we were buried, therefore, with him, Jesus, by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. I know that was a lot right there, but, but get this. This is unbelievable. See, even though Jesus lived, died, and rose again 2,000 years ago, he's saying that in a spiritual way, we were there too because he was doing it for us. Paul says we were buried with him. We've been united with him in his death. Our old self was crucified with him. So who we are before Jesus, our sin, our shame, our guilt, our fear of death, all of that is dead and gone the moment we trust in Jesus. The old us died with Jesus and no longer exists. And we're also united with him and his resurrection. We are raised with Jesus to a new life. So the moment we trust in him, we become a new person with a new purpose and a new future. We get to start all over with all our sins and our past forgiven. And we have a brand new relationship with God. And watch this. Paul describes this transformation as freedom from slavery. But we'll never understand our freedom until we understand our captivity. We will not understand what it means to be saved until we know why we need to be saved. I mean, this sounds great and all, but, but why do I really need Jesus? Well, because apart from him, you and I are bound we are slaves to our sin and rebellion against God. We're stuck in brokenness and we have no peace, no purpose. And worst of all, we have no hope of life after death. See, because of our sin, we deserve to spend eternity separated from God in hell. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. And here's the big point I want you to remember today. It's going to be on the screen. The exodus of Jesus from the grave provides an exodus from our captivity to sin. The exodus of Jesus from the grave provides an exodus from our captivity to sin. Just as God miraculously delivered his people out of Egypt, just as he miraculously delivered his son from the grave, he can miraculously deliver you too. And this comes through a decision to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's the point of the Exodus story. He's the point of the whole Bible. He's the point of our existence. Jesus is the reason we're here today. We celebrate Easter much like the Israelites celebrated Passover. It's a way for us to remember what God did 
when he raised Jesus from the dead. It's a way for us to celebrate the greatest thing that has ever happened to us. But here's the deal. I got to ask you the most important question of all. Will you accept and believe in what Jesus has done for you? Will you leave your captivity and come join me in freedom? Look, I'm not asking if you'll agree with me about the facts of Jesus and his life. I'm not asking if you'll commit to being a better person and trying harder. I'm asking you, will you drop the chains and accept the freedom that is yours in Jesus? On January 1st, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued one of the most important orders in our nation's history. It's called the Emancipation Proclamation. It effectively ended slavery and freed all those in captivity throughout the entire United States. But despite that incredible announcement, many still bound in slavery did not know they were free. It took two and a half years to reach the last remaining people in slavery in Galveston, Texas. Think about that. They spent two and a half years in chains with no idea that they had legally been declared free. Guys, I want you to know today, you are free. Your freedom has already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. The chains that have held you are broken, and the stone on the tomb has been rolled away. So why are you still sitting inside? Why are you still carrying the chains of your sin and your guilt around? You're free. Drop the chains and come to Jesus. Everything that needed to be done to accomplish your salvation has been done. There's nothing more for you to do. Just drop the chains and come to Jesus. You don't have to get your act together or clean up your life. He'll take care of that. Just drop the chains and come to Jesus. You don't have to say the right words or perform the right religious ritual or see the right religious person. Just drop the chains and come to Jesus. And you don't have to get yourself right with God. Jesus already did that for you. Just drop the chains and come to Jesus. I mean, I, I know you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, is this, is this really for me? This all sounds great, but I just don't know if I can believe it. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how long I've lived apart from God. I've carried these chains my whole life. This is all I've known. Could God really save someone like me? I'm not worthy of this freedom. Friend, if that's how you feel today, then you are just beginning to taste what makes grace so good. I don't deserve to be saved by Jesus either. I can't tell you all the sinful, messed up things I've done. I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. That's why grace is a free gift. We can't earn it, but God has given it to you because he loves you. He loves you so much that he's done everything necessary to bring you from captivity to freedom. And he's brought you here today, not by accident, but so that you can hear this message and have the opportunity to answer this question for yourself. So let me ask you again. Will you be free? Will you drop the chains and come to Jesus?